Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. You are listening to a message from our Wednesday night service. 1 John 3. That's where we're going to go. And tonight we're going to be talking about manifested. So I don't know if you're aware of this current culture. <laughs> but the current culture is a real interesting culture. You got guys that say there's no loyalty. They rat it on their friends so they don't go to jail. You got guys going family over everything. They cheat on their wife. You got a whole bunch of crazy people trying to manifest their will. So the universe is talking to them or whatever, the stars and stuff. They're searching on uh, all types of ways. But, but what they lack, what the issue is, is that people lack identity. And when you lack identity, you lack direction. So you're looking at stars, you're looking at horoscopes, you're looking at this stuff is demonic stuff. You look into the demonic for direction because you lack identity. So you have manifestors. These are the people that are trying to manifest their own will. And um, a lot of what the church even calls visions is really delusions of grandeur rooted in selfish ambition that is not even from God. Um, so that's a whole other thing there. We'll go into that another time. But so... You have people, what they're trying to do, they're trying to manifest what they want. So that this is the universe is talking to them and stuff like that. And I just want to just remind you that the universe did not die for your sins. Jesus did. And Jesus created the universe and he is speaking to us. And so we're going we're gonna to touch on this word manifested uh, later because it's an important word in our current culture. The culture always tries to steal kingdom stuff. Okay? But the, what we're looking to manifest is not what we want, <laughs> but what God wants. And I will say something to you. Uh, if you will focus on what God wants, you will have more of what you want than if you focus on what you want. So one of the ways they were singing this song earlier, Romance Me. So me and my wife, we, sang, we walked down the aisle with that song. Uh, so that's a beautiful song. But the, the, one of the ways God romances his people is not telling me how great I look in jeans or whatever, that I'm looking cute tonight. God doesn't do that. Uh, one of the ways God romances his people is by caring about what they care about. So there's things that matter to you that don't really matter to God and don't really have eternal value at all. But since they matter to you, God meets you where you are. And that's one of the ways God romances the soul of his people is, is he loves people. And so sometimes my wife will ask me something, you know, can you do this or can you do that? And I'll say, let me ask you a simple question. Does it matter to you? Is it important to you? So she says, I want to go here, do this or something. I said, if you're doing that out of obligation, I'm not, I'm not a part of that. But if it matters to you, I'm a part of that. So you got to let me know what matters to you. If it matters to you, it matters to me. I'll get involved in it. But if it doesn't matter to you, then don't, 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 you know, don't, don't try to hijack me for that. You know, uh, you got the wrong guy for that. But if it matters to you, it matters to me. And so if it matters to you, it matters to God. And um, so just, I want to just say, just before we get into the word tonight, like there was things that, that were happening in worship that were not, I did not say anything about what I'm speaking about that the Holy Spirit is weaving the thread. So I'm just excited about what God is doing. So anyway, uh, 1 John 3, it says this, Behold what manner 
of love the Father has bestowed, some translations say lavish, uh, has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, exclamation point, Greek word, technon, which is little kid, little boy, little girl, little, little child, like Elijah little. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in, uh, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, so he's saying we are currently the children of God. However, it's not exactly clear what we will be. So that's speaking of in this life. I don't know exactly what you'll be. I don't know exactly what it'll look like. I don't, I don't know. But one thing is very, very clear. What is very, very clear is that when Jesus comes, we will see him as he is and will become transformed within a twinkling of an eye. We're not floating away, you know, somewhere forever. But with the incorruptible seed that is in us, when we see him, it will be revealed and manifested and we will put on immortality. That is the Christian hope. An incorruptible physicality at the coming of the Lord. Not a floating away to heaven and avoiding some sort of bad things that are happening on the earth, but an incorruptible physicality at the coming of the Lord. So we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we know exactly who it looks like. And we know that when he comes, we will become like him because we'll see him as he is. Amen. Now, the, the context of that is simple, is that as Jesus is revealed, we become like him. So the context is that in our life now, when Jesus reveals himself to us through the scripture, through a prophetic promise, through the words of encouragement of a brother, through the love and prayers of a sister, through the generosity of an uncle, whatever it is, as God reveals his nature and as God reveals his son, there is something that takes place in us that changes us. Revelation is an invitation. When God reveals something to you, it's to show you something and invite you into something greater. This is really, really a very, very important principle. Let's say God is going to give you an upgrade in your life, like money. Let's just say you're going to get a, a better job. You're going to learn about finances. You're going you're gonna to learn. Before you get all that stuff, God will bring people into your life that are living with that upgrade to help you when you get there. So he's always preparing you for the next step. So revelation is always an invitation. So when you see something, if, if, you, can't, if you can't see it, you can't receive it. This is, this is, if you can't see it by faith, you cannot lay hold of it. You cannot lambano it. You cannot grab onto it if you can't see it. So one of, well, God always starts with seeing, but seeing always starts with desire you will see what you're hungry for. Whatever you're hungry for, you will seek after and search for. 
That, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the rule. So you'll always have more of whatever it is that you're most hungry for. Okay? Now, Jesus, he, in the book of Revelation, I'll give you an example. Every time in the book of Revelation that Jesus addresses the churches, he writes to the seven churches. If, if you look at it, he, he always starts with, this is Jesus who has the seven stars in his hands. This is Jesus with burning eyes. This is Jesus with hair white like wool and a golden sash. And then he tells them what's wrong with them. And then he tells them to change. What, what is the point? If you look at this carefully, every time before he calls them into repentance, he first reveals himself because when we see him as he is, we then have the power to change what is wrong with us. He will not do it for us. He will give us the power to do it with him and he will invite us into it by faith. So it will be a divine partnership of him working with us and him revealing himself to us and us seeing what is not right with us and us seeing what is right with him and then making those adjustments. So in this context, he says, everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. So one of the things that hope is, hope is an anchor of your soul, which means it gives you emotional stability, which is very important to have emotional stability or folks are not gonna trust you. So you gotta have some emotional stability there. And in when, when a ship is going through a storm, you, they throw the anchor out so that the ship can keep moving in the storm and not get tipped over. So in one season, the anchor keeps you moving forward, in another season, uh, when the waters are quiet, they throw the anchor down and it keeps the ship where it's supposed to be. So the anchor will either keep the ship still. That's one of the things that hope does. Hope gives you the ability to have patience. Hope energizes patience. And patience is the power to wait with a smile on. It's cheerful endurance. It's waiting in expectation. So, you know, hope energizes patience. If people don't know what they're suffering for, they won't be willing to suffer long. But if you know something good is coming, you'll, 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 you don't mind waiting because you know something good is on its way. Something good is moving. Something good. And so you'll, you'll, you'll hold on. And so if you have this hope within you, you will purify yourself. Hope is a purifier. And uh, that means that because he is pure and he is the standard, we purify ourselves and purge our lives of sin. Now, he paid the price for this, our sin to take away the, our sins, which we're going to go into in a minute, and not only pay the penalty of our sins, but to take away our sins so that we are free from sin, so that we can be slaves to righteousness. In other words, that we are bent toward what is doing, doing what is right. Instead of being bent toward what is doing wrong, we're bent toward doing what is right. So, so that's a whole different thing. That means we're hardwired totally differently. In, in essence, that means if you do something bad, you don't feel good about it. Versus if you do bad stuff back in the day, you felt great about it. And I plan on doing more of it. And then something changes on the inside of you. You go from death to life. And then you do something bad and you're like, whoa, I don't feel good about that. Whereas before, you felt excellent about that. So that is the working of God in you. So if you have this hope, what is the hope that he's talking about? The hope that he's talking about is seeing Jesus as he is. Then you're going to purify yourself. You're not going to play games. You're not going to see how much of the world can I engage with. 
You're going to see how much of the world can I shed. And when I'm talking about the world, I'm not talking about material things in the sense of your computer, a car, your phone. I'm talking about the world as a system that was unleashed through sin into the cosmos of sin, death, that it, that is, it, is, it is driven by greed, by lust, um, by fear. I'm talking about that system. I'm not talking about material things. If you have a Gnostic perspective, then you think that the material world is bad and material is bad and you don't understand that when God created everything, he said it was good and very good. So there's a, there's, there's a whole battle there with people and religion, but that's a whole other story. So anyway, those who have hope are actively purifying their life and guarding their heart and their mind to keep their life pure because one day we will see Jesus face to face and according to Hebrews 4.13, nothing is hidden from his sight. So you may be able to lie to your wife, lie to yourself, lie to your mom, uh, you know, lie to your pastor, but you cannot lie to Jesus. You cannot front with Jesus. You cannot be like, well, and dance. Jesus will be like, no. I'm going to tell you, excuses do not work with Jesus. They don't work with Jesus. So anyway, also self-justification, that doesn't work with Jesus. He is pure, Jesus. Let's continue. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So the first thing we know, he is pure. So because he is pure and he is the standard, then I want to purify my life. This is a very, very important part. This is something that I, I have a great concern that we don't talk about enough within church. We don't. And I think that we're, we live with the lack of power because of a lack of purity. Anyway, all right. Whoever sins, whoever commits, plural, commits. Not whoever messes up. We're not talking about I messed up. Whoever commits, whoever is committed <laughs> to sin. Whoever is like perpetually sitting also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity or you workers of lawlessness. So that is not, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I, I, I missed the mark. That is, no, I wanted to miss the mark and I'm committed to missing the mark. So some of us were committed to a life of brokenness and dysfunction and we were very committed. You know what's very fascinating? How committed we were to craziness and then you become saved and you do not have that same commitment. Have you ever thought about that? When you are not saved, it'd be two in the morning. You're like, man, I'm going to New York City to get some weed. I'm going over here to do this, do that. You do whatever you want. Now you're like, oh, it's 923. I got to leave church. It's late. It's like, what? What happened to you? Like you were more committed to the devil than your own eternity. Like what happened? We get, I don't know what happens. You know what I think happens when sometimes people come to church, they lose their mind. There's like a mental illness in church where people come to church and stop thinking. I don't want that in this church. I'm going to kick that out. And you know that he was manifested. Oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> manifested. He was manifested, why? To take away our sins. Isn't that, now to me, that's good news. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. What does death mean? Death means separation from God. Right? Yes. But death also means separation from everyone and everything that you really love. So if I have bitterness toward you, death is working in our relationship. If you have bitterness toward your wife, death is working in that relationship. If, 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 you not if you don't handle your finances well, that's sin. Death is working in your finances. So you have, so, so you look in your life, you go, whoa, you got, <laughs> you know, you, there's death all over the place. Jesus came to take away our sins so that we would not be slaves to those sins because the wages of those sins is death. And he did not create us for death. We were created for life. All right. Whoever abides in him does not sin. That's like if I say whoever is in the church building tonight is not smoking crack. Why would I say something like that? Because nobody's selling crack. I hope none of y'all got crack and you're not smoking crack in the building. Are you following me? Now that sounds extreme, but it says Who is whoever is in him does not perpetually sin. Why? Because in him there is not sin. In fact, he came to take away our sins and bring us into him so we would have a place so that we would know how to live so that we would not be slaves. I mean, to me, this is all, all good news. Like if you ever had an addiction, if you ever had bondage, if you ever had brokenness in your life, if you ever had just a trail of damage, to me, this is good news because he's saying, no, 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 today, this stops here. Boom. I was manifested to take away your sins. And the word manifest there is I was revealed. I was made apparent. I was made visible to take away your sins. So the idea that you can come to church, get baptized 12 times, and continue to live in sin is crazy. And another thing that is crazy that the ancient guys who wrote the Bible, the Hebrew prophets, the Jewish apostles, uh, these guys... Uh, they did not have a disconnection from what people believed and how they lived. That's a Western idea that tries to separate how I live from what I believe. That is not a biblical idea. That's a dangerous idea and it's a destructive idea. And I show people what I really believe by how I live. All right, let's continue. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So it's very clear that if someone is committed to a life of sin, I'm not talking about if someone misses the mark. I'm not talking about if someone, you know, messes up and then doesn't feel good about it and then feels the need to confess it. That's, that's different than I'm committed to sin. I want to be clear on that because like, is he saying we got to be perfect? I didn't say that. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. But I am saying let's not be committed to sin and let's practice what the Bible says righteousness. Okay. Little children, little technons. Here he comes again. He's, he's talking to old adults. <laughs> he's, he's really in the tradition of Jesus because that's what Jesus did to his best guys. Call them little boys. Okay. Okay. 
Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Okay. You see what this is always going back to? He, everyone who has this hope in it purifies himself as he is poor. Everyone who practices righteousness because he is righteous. So he is our standard. Not me, not you, not the famous preacher on TV. Jesus is our standard. This is very important. Okay. He is pure. He was manifest to take away our sins. He is righteous. Do you see that this is a lot about him? <laughs> anyway, okay, I thought it was funny. Deborah thought it was funny too. All right. He who sins is of the devil. I got a funny story about that. I, had, I was young and crazy. And I, work, I was working as a plumber. I used to be a plumber by trade. I never wanted to be in the ministry. I thought ministry people were lazy. <laughs> I wanted to have a big job, a big business, and be left alone and help people when I felt like it. That was my plan. God totally destroyed my whole life. So anyway, it was beautiful, though. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that was my, my plan. So anyway, I worked with this guy. He used to call me brother, brother, brother. I used to be like, bro. I'm not your brother. Your dad is Satan. <laughs> he didn't appreciate that. But, but, okay. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So if I am perpetually sinning, guess who my daddy is? Satan. So now you have people doing their own thing. They think they're free. Satan is their daddy. But the illusion is that they're free to do what they want. They're free to do what they feel. I do me. And really, Satan is their daddy. He's a liar. Okay. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, here he comes again, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, the word destroy means to loose untie, release, unbind, unfasten. Now, when you hear religious Christians and they say, God is in control. Let me tell you something about control. Someone who wants control wants to tie you up. <laughs> As someone that is wants you to be untied and free, it's real different. So God is sovereign, almighty, almighty, all-knowing, omniscient, all that stuff and a bag of chips. But he is not the almighty manipulator, control freak that wants to tie, you know, tie you up and, and control you. And he wants to, in fact, loose you and untie you from the works of the enemy. So the, the works of the enemy goes, oh, man, you're free, bro. You can do that. Yeah, that's you, bro. All you, bro. You can do that. You can do this. Do whatever makes you feel good. You know what that is? Him tying you up. That's, 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 and Jesus specifically for this purpose, his purpose is to destroy the works of the enemy. So if you are in him, your job is to destroy the works of the enemy. Now, how in the world are you going to destroy the works of the enemy if you are 
involved with the works of the enemy. So this is what the devil tries to do. He tries to seduce us into compromise so that we're in a collaboration with him and that collaboration with him is profitable so we don't want to let it go. This is the thing that he, he, the enemy is always trying to seduce us into agreement with him, his system, his views, his way of doing things. All right, let's continue. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The same way, this is another example, but it's speaking to a different part of the process that a good tree bears what? Good fruit. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. So this is, this, he's talking about the, 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 before it becomes a tree, it is first a what? Seed. So if you are born of God, if God is living in you and you are living in Christ and Christ in you is the hope of glory, you do not want to sin. You actually have a totally different uh, outlook on it and things that used to be attractive to you are now no longer attractive to you because you have had a change of heart. You have had a renewing of your mind. This is an important part of our walk with God. Okay. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is, uh, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because the works, his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So the first homicide was over a tithe. Do you know that 80, 80 to 85 or 85, 80 to 90% of Christians in America do not tithe? I can tell you that this is not like that in this place, but I'm telling you that is the norm within, within Christianity, which means, let's just make it simple. This is just one area of your life, not 10, but it affects every area of your life. You're saying to God, God, you do not have access to what I value. In fact, I value what I have more than I value you when Jesus gave everything he had to have you. This is the value system of American Christianity. It's lukewarm and it's dying. And the lukewarm stuff is not attracting people. It's not attractive. So this is, this is, this, and God himself will spit it out. This is just one area. I'm not, I, if I can go, I, if I go to sexuality, we could have a field day on that alone. The amount of uh, addiction to porn in the church is no different from the bar. You look at the divorce rate. I mean, I start hitting, and I'm, not, I don't, and I'm not saying that to be jerky. I'm saying that if we are believers, then we have to believe ourselves into behaving differently so that we demonstrate our doctrine through our lifestyle. All right, let's continue. Um, Verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Let's go back to Genesis 4 for a second. Genesis 4, he mentions Cain. Let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. Now, in Genesis 3, 
when woman began to listen to the serpent, do you think that she knew that in the very next chapter that her son was going to kill her next son? No. She did not know that. But that is the danger of listening to the wrong voices. That's the danger of being misled by the wrong voices. Okay? Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have uh, inquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, uh, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. So he came with a tithe and an offering. And the Lord respected uh, Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So Cain was feeling mad and sad. <laughs> he was not happy. Uh, okay. And the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? Look at God. This is a God who sees you. You may be, you know, having a rough day. We serve a God who sees us and who can feel what we're going through and will speak to us where we are. We don't have to pretend that everything is all good and put on a church smile. He speaks to us right where we are. He said, why are you, this is the Lord speaking to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So now God is speaking to him and saying, I see that you're angry. Sin has a desire for you. You have the power and you should rule over it. If God says he should, that means he could. But he did not heed the warning. Now, what's fascinating is, now we're going to continue, uh, verse uh, 8. Now Cain, talked with it, uh, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, to kill him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? First question is why. Second question is where. Where is your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So now, anger, murder, and lies. Just like that. Just like that. He did not heed the instructions. He did not heed the Lord's warning to him. When the Lord warns you, take the warning. Don't entertain stuff that you know you shouldn't do. That is sin. Don't do that. That will not bring anything good into your life. God immediately addresses Cain's anger and warns him about sin's desire for him. Now, what is Cain is experiencing is the perceived rejection led to anger. What am I talking about? God didn't reject him. God said, I don't respect you and I don't respect what you did. If you do what is right, I will accept you. God did not reject him. God set a standard for him. Nowadays, people think that if you set a standard, you're rejecting them. But if you don't withhold the standard of God, how can, how can you say that you're living to please God? You're not. You're living to please people. 
So now the perceived rejection led to anger. The enemy wants us to take things personal that are not personal. Now, he, he kills his brother, but who is he mad at? God. He's mad at God, and he takes it out, and he kills his brother. His brother didn't do a thing to him. His brother didn't even talk to him. His brother didn't look, say, look at my offering and tithe is better than yours. God loves me. He doesn't love you. He didn't do none of that. He just did what he was supposed to do. And now his older brother wants to kill him. How did, let me ask you this question. How did Abel know what to offer? Because he saw what his parents were wearing. See, honor. Abel was someone of honor. Cain was someone of anger. See, people of anger are not people of honor. You got to get anger out of your heart. You got anger in your heart. Many people hold on to their anger because it makes them feel safe. It's like a little blade they got that nobody knows they got or a little gun that, you know, they, you're walking around with a little gun. They feel like they're bad, but they're only bad because they got that little blade or their little gun. They're not as bad. If they were so bad, they wouldn't feel that they need that. See? If you, you know, that, that's another story. We'll get over that, but so you, you, we have to let the Lord work on the anger because if it's unchecked, it can lead to murder. And it, I don't know if you saw this. It happened pretty quick. Self-control is one of the most powerful spiritual fruits or weapons one can possess. So just, just track with me here. If you read the story, God puts a mark on him and says, nobody can kill Cain. But God says to him, you'll be a vagabond all the days of your life. Uh, let me just read it. Why don't we read it? Am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So that mark somehow... <laughs> Stopped people from killing him. And guess what he had to live with for the rest of his life? Guess what his punishment was? Himself. He was stuck with himself. The hardest person that you will ever have to live with is always you. So if you don't reconcile what is going on in your heart and in your life, you could leave a whole group of people but still be stuck with you. You could leave a marriage and think that that's going to help you and still be stuck with you. You can leave the church and go find another church and still be stuck with you. So this, this thing was, his punishment was that he was a fugitive and a vagabond, which means that he could not lay roots. Do you know that there's some Christians that they have a vagabond spirit? They, they are like fugitives. They're on the run. They go from church to church to church to church to church to church to church. And then if you look at their jobs, 
They go from job to job to job to job to job to job, like ping pong, job to job. It's always the boss. It's always someone else. It's always my situation. Nobody respects me. Nobody understands me. Poor little me. And they have a vagabond spirit that cannot lay roots and they cannot prosper. Because they never dealt with anger. Anger will not allow you to stay somewhere. You will always have to move. If you don't deal with anger, it will really, really hurt your life. Okay? I'm not saying you're angry. Maybe you're happy as can be. I don't know. I'm not accusing you. I'm simply saying that anger is something that any of us can feel, any of us can experience. But the, 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 the Word of God says, be angry and do not sin. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, which means deal with your anger. Do not allow your anger to deal with you. The Bible says that if you go to sleep angry, you give place to the devil. So that means that if, if you give anger any space, it will grow and it will multiply in your life. And it will war against self-control. And without self-control, you will not be able to retain what you have. All right. Let's finish up here. We are almost done. You don't believe me though. All right, I understand. I gave you reason to doubt. So, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know we love because, excuse me, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. You see how it goes back to he? He's pure. He is righteous. He came to destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, he came, uh, you know, he, 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 him, Jesus. It's about him. So we know love because he laid down his life for us. That's our example. And we ought to lay down our life for who? For the brethren. That's not easy. It feels like a death. When you lay down your life for people, sometimes they don't even know what you're doing. Sometimes the most valuable things that you're doing, they don't even get it. They look at you like you're dumb. And keep laying down your life. <laughs> and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So that, that's like saying, if, if my brother is hungry, how can I say I love God and I love him if I let him go hungry in front of me? That's very simple. Like, and anyone who lacks an ability to understand that just misses it completely. For example, we go and we pass out water filters, we feed hungry people, we pray for people. Like, how is it that you're going to tell me that you care about my eternity, but you don't care about my now? It's like you're trying to save me from hell, supposedly, but I need a sandwich and a hug. <laughs> you know, like sometimes we can be so religious that we, we disconnect. It's all a part of the same mission. Okay, but whoever has his uh, world's goods and sees his brother in need, he shuts his heart from him. How does love of God abide in him? My little children, again, third time technons, let us love in word. Uh, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall 
assure our hearts before Him. So we know we are of the truth by how we love. Okay, here comes. This is something I'm telling you the next few verses. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Watch this. Stop for a second and just think, think of this. If, wait, let me continue. Hold on. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He has given us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he who abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay, going back up. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Next verse. Uh, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So if my heart condemns me, I'm not lacking confidence in me. I'm lacking confidence in God. Let me say one thing about, about conviction. Conviction is a good thing. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and, judge, and judgment. Judgment, the final judgment, God will judge. Righteousness, what is right in God's sight which means it must be just to my brother. I can't say that it's right before God if it's taking advantage of you. So that righteousness and justice are inseparable biblically in Hebrew. Righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. That is the, that is the throne. So righteousness and justice, and then the seed is called mercy, and the throne is called grace. So it's, that's a whole thing. You can do a whole thing on the throne of God, but that's another story. So this, this is very important, and the throne is the kingdom. So anyway, if I don't respond to conviction, what do I get? Condemnation. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is saying, hey, you're on the wrong road. It's called damnation. <laughs> get off this road, bro. This is not a good road. This does not lead to life. It leads to death. So what happens is, when people suppress that, they sear their conscience. They hurt themselves. So if you're feeling the conviction of God over something, good. Don't do it. Or if you're feeling the need to repent, go for it. Do it. Don't resist that because you'll hurt yourself. So when someone lacks confidence toward God, inside they don't have a, they don't have a sense of resolution. There's a restlessness in there. There's... There is a, a lack of peace. There is, it's almost like they are their own prosecutor. And that is not what Jesus paid for. So what that, why that happens is when someone refuses to make right what is wrong, they begin to feel that. And that's why I'm, I'm really encouraging you, I'm encouraging us, that if we sense something is wrong in our walk, in our life, maybe we need to apologize 
Maybe we need to repent to someone. Maybe we need to confess something. Maybe we need to stop something. Maybe we need to start something because the Bible, there, there's sins of omission and sins of omission are what I don't do. So to him who knows what's good or what's right and doesn't do it, that's sin. So let's say, for example, let's just say something simple. If the Bible clearly says that I should worship and pray, I should gather with the saints. I don't do it. The Bible clearly says that I should tithe and give. I don't do it. The Bible clearly says that I should serve others. I don't do it. The Bible is clearly saying that I should advance to the kingdom, share the gospel with people. I don't do it. The Bible is clearly telling me that I should be merciful. I don't do it. I want justice for me, you know, mercy for me and justice for everyone else. Those are sins of omission. I am failing to do the things that I know to do. How long do you think that someone can live with the sins of omission until they hurt their conscience? How long do you think you can do that for? Before you, can, you really damage yourself. And then you have the sins of commission, which is the sin that you do. And, and those are not the things that you don't do, but those are the things that, you know, fornication, lust, greed, stealing, you know, whatever, drunkenness, you know, all those things. So, so that is, those are destructive to you. And this is what they do. They break you down so that you're fragmented and broken so that you don't have self-control. Someone who is not whole cannot say no. Someone who is not whole does not have self-control. They will do things they know they shouldn't do. They know are not good. They know they won't yield anything good because they lack self-control because they're broken on the inside. So that's what sin does. Sin breaks us on the inside. Are you, are you tracking with me? So what, what, is, what is going through the paths of righteousness, another way we could say practicing righteousness or walking after righteousness, what does that do? It restores the soul. What, what, what breaks the soul? Sin. So if we're going to partner with God in spiritual warfare, if you're going to be like powerful spiritually, one of the most, the two most important things that you need are love, which is offensive, and self-control, which is defensive. You, you have to have self-control with your tongue, with your sexuality, with finances, with food. With, I mean, there, there has to be a, some level of like, okay, like after half the bag of chips, that's probably enough. You know, maybe you don't like chips as much as I do. I don't know. But I'm just saying, eventually you have to go, okay, well, like, are those chips the Lord of your life? Because... Three bags later, you know, in one week, I don't know if, how good that is for you. So, so you, you have to just, this is important. So now here's the thing. The enemy is trying to break us. Do you realize that? The enemy is trying to break you. So I don't want you partnering with the enemy. How can we destroy the, the works of the enemy? How can we untie people from the enemy's grip if the enemy has his hand around our neck? Do you know how many Christians live in fear? A basic fear. Fear of orphan fear, an orphan spirit. Fear of not having enough. 
Fear of the unknown. Fear of not being in control. That's an orphan spirit. That's a no daddy spirit. That's, that's a, a lack of revelation of behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be the children of God. That is the fear of I have no daddy and God is not going to provide for me and I'm scared of the future and I live in fear and the enemy has his, his, his hand around your neck and you're, the, you're, the, you're on the worship team. You're preaching... You got the microphone, you're preaching, and you're in bondage with unbelief. And your unbelief is infecting people. You're preaching, and you're bitter about what someone did to you. You think the whole world owes you something. And now your bitterness is defiling people when you're supposed to be there edifying people. That's why, this is the main point. The, why I'm saying all this is because... If we're going to be powerful ministers of the kingdom that bring deliverance to people, that bring healing to people, that break addiction, that break destructive patterns and behaviors, we have to get free. We have to be free ourselves. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we're free. And someone who is free, let me tell you one thing about someone who's free. Someone who is really free values their freedom. And if you would be encroaching upon my freedom, I'm going to be like, I'm good. I've, I've, been, I've been in that. I've been chased by Chase. Chase ain't chasing me. I'm not, Chase is sending me a thousand bucks. I'm not, I'm not Chase is not I'm, not, I'm not sending Chase my paycheck. I know about, I know about them. MasterCard is in my master. I'm, I'm not, I value my freedom and my future so I will administer self-control. That's a spiritual weapon. That's not just a fruit. That's dangerous. When, when you have, when someone has, you know the proverb says that someone has rule over his own spirit is greater than a man who can take a city. That's what Proverbs says. The man who has rule over his own spirit is greater than a man that can take a city. Listen, when you, when you go into the world, and, and I'm talking about in the first world context, America and stuff, and, and you, you see someone that lives with the fear of man, and they live to please people, and they live to be Mr. Congeniality, so everybody likes them. And, and you know, they live with that. Their biggest threat to their own well-being is themselves, because they don't have the courage to not care how people feel about them, because they live from the outside in instead of from the inside out, which is a brokenness on the inside, where they lack self-control. There's no shield of faith, and they're just getting fired on. And they're reacting to the fire instead of living from the kingdom. Instead of bearing the sword of the spirit and saying, we're going to chop that down and we're going to cut that out and we're going to jab you with that. We're not going to take the enemy's, you know, nonsense and stuff like that. Because the enemy will always try to project fear on you. Oh, you can't say that at work. You, you, you got to call a girl, you know, a boy because he feels it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not feeling anything. 
I mean, and they, they, they will try to intimidate you. Tell them to take that to Saudi Arabia. Let me know how that works. Tell them to take it to Pakistan. They have a riot. They'll light the whole neighborhood on fire. Two minutes. They'll light, they'll light the whole place on fire. They'll be, they'll be rioting and they'll be having lunch after three minutes. It'll be over. They'll have a riot. You don't have to participate and you don't have to start a riot, amen? But you don't have to be afraid because what happens is, if you, do you know that if you don't have self-control, you will let them get to you? Because they, they, they will penetrate your armor and now their voice is rolling around the inside of your heart and your head. And now you're entertaining their demons. And now you're neutralized instead of being the voice of God to a confused world, dazed and confused, they're like, then you're afraid. And you know, you know one of the primary places where you have spiritual warfare at? Besides your house? Your work. So you have to really be, be aware of the enemy's tactics there. Because that is your primary... How many hours a week you spend there? 40? 50? Too many. There's, there's an honest person. Too many. So then what does that mean? That means that you, every day you get there, you go. You got to put your helmet on. It's mouthpiece because you're, you're in a battle zone. So if you, if you go in there foggy and, and not aware that you're in a battle zone, you're going to get, you know, get hit and stuff like that. So anyway, spiritual warfare. All right. We're going to talk more about things next week that open the door to the demonic, shutting the door to the demonic. We're going we're gonna to do a few more weeks on this stuff because this is important stuff. Now, today, what, what am I really saying? I'm really saying that love is necessary. It's an offensive weapon. I'm saying that we have to practice righteousness. Jesus made us righteous by his blood. Yes, that's true. But we also should be practicing righteousness. And I'm also saying that if we have anger and we, have, and we lack self-control, we're going to really have a hard time laying roots and, and really becoming fruitful. So we have to work through our stuff so that we're not getting pushed around from thing to thing to thing, never laying roots and never getting planted and never getting established somewhere. Because if you don't, if you're not really planted somewhere, how do you expect to prosper? If every time a, you know, a tree starts getting fruit in it, you know, you cut it and put it somewhere else, it's not going to be fruitful. It needs time in a place. It needs sunlight and rain and time and it needs winter actually. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that it needs to become fruitful. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that you release that does not return void, but your word accomplishes what you sent it to do. And so, Lord, I ask you that we would be those that practice righteousness, that walk in love, and those who have self-control. And I pray anyone battling with anger, that you would give them the victory over anger 
and that death would not operate in their life, but life would operate. And life would flow in Jesus' name. Amen. That was a three-quarter hostage.